Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Chapter 1, the righteous judgment by God. Now, Paul wrote his first epistle to them not too long after they had planted the church and he left it under dire situations. He was ex- uh, experiencing persecution himself and they said, you need to leave. Some of the other team members stayed behind and Paul went on, ended up in Athens, then over to Corinth and was corresponding and all. And one of the reasons that he wrote to this church, uh, not only to commend them and to encourage them, but to um, clear up something that was in their hearts and their minds that they were not sure about. And it was the coming of the Lord. Uh, He starts chapter 4 of the previous epistle, I would not have you ignorant brethren. So if he says that, that, what does that imply? There was ignorance. Ignorance concerning the second coming of Christ, uh, the rapture of the church, and those kinds of things. They were ignorant concerning the brothers and sisters that had previously passed on in that period of time uh, because uh, what was going on was this extreme persecution and tribulation within the culture there. And part of that probably was caused by the Judaizers that followed Paul around. He he um, had to deal with those uh, knuckleheads. And they caused a lot of problems. But and the, so this, when you're going through the ringer, so to speak, and you're under persecution and you're being tribulated, I mean, it's pretty easy to think, man, looks like the end of the world. Uh, not unlike what we're going through. How many believers are thinking, I think this is the mark. I think this is the end. Where's the Antichrist at? He's got to be here somewhere. You know, you you just, and people are sort of getting wrapped around the axle about what's going on, like, it's here. Well, I guess it could be. I wouldn't mind if it was, really, in one sense, because that means we're out of here pretty shortly, right? One way or the other. Well, you're pre-post or mid. I mean, it, what's what's seven years compared to what we've already lived, right? We don't need to be ignorant concerning those things. If you will study the scriptures, we've had this discussion before, the natural outflow of what you read, if you read chapter 4, it sounds like a rapture. It smells like a rapture. It probably is a rapture that's going to happen. You read the second coming in chapter 19 of Revelation. It looks like a second coming. It feels like a second coming. He looks like the rider on the white horse with flame of eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. I think it's probably the second coming. Are they two different things? Some believe so. So you have the splitters and the joiners. The joiners just throw it all in one basket. Second coming and the rapture are all the same thing. Then we got the splitters, such as we. No, 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 no. He comes in the clouds. He catches his bride away. There's the reward. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then we come back for a thousand-year honeymoon and live and rule and reign with him, which I kind of bind into that one. So 
doesn't want Paul, the people to be ignorant of what happened or to the people who had passed on first. Hey, they're going to, you know, they're going to be part of this. He didn't miss out on anything. And in this second epistle, not tonight, but the next time, chapter 2, when we get to chapter 2, he's going to go into the day of the Lord and what it will be like prior to and leading into that day of the Lord known as the Great Tribulation. But for tonight, and as Paul is in his letters, he talks about encouragement. There's never not a time that people fail to need encouragement. You always need encouragement. The last thing I want to ever do to anyone who comes to church is to beat on them. You ought to be doing this and, you know, give you the the finger, you know, like point the finger and, you know, chastise. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the scriptures are pretty strong in and among themselves, right? I mean, just speaking the truth just like floors us all. I mean, that's sufficient. You know, a lot of times you just kind of wonder that why that happens. Is it just because you're lacking something in your own life and so you're projecting that onto some others like to make yourself feel better I'm not sure what why preachers do that I'm kind of hard on preachers aren't I well we should be because we're going to get judged more strictly and uh, that's a humbling thought but moving on here I love what and this sort of fits into what we'll get into the first chapter here Henry Hancock said Quote, out of our beliefs are born deeds. Out of our deeds are f- we form habits. Out of our habits we grow our character. And on our character we build our destiny. And the choices that we make day to day, hour by hour, moment by moment, have effect on our destiny. And we have to see things in that manner, rather than crumbling under the weight of the persecution such as these people were going through, and, and obviously what we're facing in our own country right now, and, and really in the world for that matter. Christians have a target on their head, and it, it, this is a spiritual thing that's going on, not just, it's more than about this, you know, vaccination passport. There's a lot more going on than that. It's, it's the loss or the retaining of our freedoms. If we will stand up, as we should, as citizens of this country, and say, no, we're not doing that. We're done with this. Away with you tyrants. That's the kind of position that we need to take. If we don't take that kind of position, then, then we don't have a country. And we're going to, and for you and me, it's probably internment camps. well do we have any historical evidence of that ever happening before I think we have you know what I'm talking about and so it's important that we don't crumble under the pressures of this godless society and and submit to these tyrants it's kind of like a bully on the playground you know, he terrorizes everybody, intimidates everybody, but as soon as somebody stands up to him and smacks him in the mouth, it's over. And that's really what we have to do. 
And we have a number of people in our country that are very smart, love the Lord, and they are standing up because they are in the, they are in the middle of the fight because that's where God has called them. They're part of the, the government. Some of the things that are happening in North Dakota, if you've had a chance to follow Mike Lindell, I think it's wonderful what he's doing. What a, what, huh? South Dakota. They were making fun of him about North Dakota yesterday. But nonetheless, you know, he's spent millions and millions of dollars uh, to pull, put this thing together to just illustrate and, and without a shadow of a doubt how everything is stolen and what's going on in our country. And people say, why would you spend that kind of money? He says, look, if, if I don't spend that kind of money, we don't have a country and I don't have a business. So hats off to that dear brother. You know, isn't it like the Lord? You know, we look at like some of these characters of the judges, you know, like Gideon. I mean, the guy's hiding out and, hey, mighty, mighty, mighty man of valor. I'm sure he's probably looking around. Someone talking to, who are they talking to here? You know, Mike Lindell was a, a drug addict <laughs> turned billionaire. <laughs> it's just amazing that, you know, he's just a, He's just a plain old guy that loves the Lord and he works like a maniac. And, and I just, you know, it just blesses me to him. Uh, uh, he blesses me for what he's doing for our, our country. One of the important roles of a minister is to encourage the people. And every letter Paul has, now some of them are corrective epistles, and he comes out of the gate, like Galatians was like one of the first ones he wrote, and so he was like up in their business pretty quick. You know, having begun in the flesh, you're not going to be perfected. Uh, begun in the spirit, you're not going to be perfected in the flesh. I mean, that's pretty strong language, you know. But as you see Paul grow and become fatherly in his faith, I mean, he just is such a gentle, but yet bold and firm man of God. And so this is how we uh, begin it here, as his usual manner. Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the ministry team, and probably Luke was probably involved in this at least some of the time. And... Um, Silvanus, that's Silas, that's uh, sort of the Romanized uh, version of his name. And then Timothy, the convert, young man, convert um, in Paul's uh, planning of the churches there in Asia Minor, probably the first um, missionary journey that he took in there uh, around Ephesus. And so he's become part of the team. Um, but notice there it says, to the church in God. This isn't Paul's church. This is, this is, these, early, these churches that were planted early on by Peter and some of the other apostles, they're not their churches. This is not my church. Calvary Chapel was not founded by Chuck Smith, contrary to popular belief. It was founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He just found someone that was willing to be used, just like you. God finds somebody that's available and he works through them to accomplish his purposes. But it belongs to him. It's his church. So his church should be done his way under his leadership. To the church. Paul never lost sight of that. 
in God. And then notice how he ties God to the Lord Jesus Christ, making God equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never, you know, those are literally things that you know, but it's really easy to, when you're reading the Bible just to kind of blow through some of this. Oh, well, you know, grace and peace, la, 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 la. You know, we, we just want to get into the meat, you know. That's a lot of good stuff right here. I know it's a salutation. I get it. But I just had to correct myself a little bit. It's really become so used to the Scripture, so used to the familiar that you overlook it and you just blow right over it and you miss something uh, that God may have for you. So word by word, sometimes just stop, read it backwards so you make sure you get the words right. Just get the words. It's so important. But grace, um, just think about that for a moment. God has a well that never runs dry. I had a well put down a couple years ago on my property and we had no idea. We had I had a hydrologist do the work and you know kind of you know like he studies the underground aquifers and stuff and so he kind of knows the area so he gave me five places on my property to to you know drill a well and you know one two three four five and one being preferable and so we ended up on number two because we couldn't get the equipment at number one so that was fine so we go down 300 feet eh. <laughs> what do we do? You know, it starts getting expensive after that. And so we went, decided to go down another 20 and see what it was. And then we went down another 20. Well, we went down about half, about 16 feet of the last 20, which would be about 340 feet. And boom, we didn't hit oil, but we hit an underground river of water. That's an aquifer, a river, underground river, 65 gallon a minute flow, which is obviously very awesome. You know, but God has a well much more powerful than that. That underground river probably won't go dry, but it could go dry. God's well will never go dry. You can never exhaust the grace of God. How gracious is God? Just like his name is forever, so is his grace. His unmerited favor, his beauty, his charm, his goodness, Just he just pours it out upon us. And the Hebrew word for grace that's used a lot uh, actually carries a connotation of compassion. So God is gracious. It's based in his heart of love and compassion uh, for his people. I just, I like talking about grace because I need it. I don't know about you. I'm sure you do too. And then peace. That's always the result of grace being experienced. You We'll never have peace with God. That's why people who have a, a non-grace relationship with God, one that's based on more legalistic, you know, the rule-keeping and church attendance, like it's an event that I do once a week, and as long as I attend that event, then we're good, you know, and, and, and that's just the way it is. Uh, those, that kind of relationship with God doesn't really experience grace. And if a, if a person doesn't experience grace... They're not going to experience peace. And you need peace. I ran into a guy. I happened to have to fill up my, fill up my truck on the way home uh, the other day, yesterday. And, um, you know, the guy's on that side of the pumps. I'm on this side. And, and we started a conversation. <clears throat> and um, it, it, it got interesting. <laughs> and... Um, he he gets he starts telling me you know um, 
that his daughter needs a kidney transplant. And so I, okay. So I just said, well, do you mind if I pray for you? So I laid my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. And I'm thinking, he's probably like, I didn't even think anything about it until afterwards. But I prayed with him and I looked at his face afterwards and he was like, there was, he was kind of beaming like, whoa, I think the Lord kind of touched him. I wasn't really praying for him, I was praying for his daughter to get a kidney and that God would be glorified through this. And so we had, we had a little exchange, his name's Luther, by the way, I'm going to pray for him tonight. And um, on the way out of there, you know, I'm driving home and I'm thinking, you know, I don't really think anything about that because that is the world I live in. I wasn't looking around, oh, is anybody watching me pray? I didn't even enter my mind. And I'm thinking, you know, now, if I'm that guy, and I remember my BC days pretty much enough to know that this is where this guy's praying in public. Okay. I probably wouldn't have had him in my BC days. I would have run or something. But, you know, that poor soul as far as I could tell, and I'm not really judging him because I, who am I to know what's going on in his mind and heart, doesn't understand peace. He has no peace with God. You know, we live in this. We live in prayer. We live in the Word. We live in communion with God. And we think the rest of the world can relate to us. They don't have a clue what you are enjoying. And the peace, the love, the joy the camaraderie that we have as the body of Christ and members of one another, brothers and sisters, closer relationships than blood. We're spiritual brothers and sisters bound together by the love of God. It's just don't ever overlook the grace of God or the peace of God. And Paul, as he begins verse 3 here, uh, in fact, I'm going to read through the remainder of the to verse 12 and finish the chapter here, and then we'll make our comments. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And from the presence and from the glory of his power. And when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired by all who believe, because our testimony among you was believed, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling 
and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible pastor Paul was. Now, it says here that he uh, tells us that he was an apostle. And Paul is not bragging here. Paul, an apostle. You know, he mentions it kind of absent here, but he mentions it in most of his epistles. And he has to do that because of the people that are falling behind, as I mentioned earlier, the Judaizers. And he, when someone has the fruit of the Spirit and the power, he talks about this work of faith with power. I mean, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit through his life, the healings, the ministry of the Word, the revelations from God, the understanding of his theology, the fruit from his ministry, I mean, that should be sufficient evidence to say that this man was commissioned by God. Because no man can do this, as they said of Jesus, except God be with him. So he was an appointed representative of official status, if you will, an apostle appointed by the Lord Jesus himself. And he exercised that authority. And those who received his ministry understood that. Because you, when you want to really have discernment about people, it's when you see the real thing and then you see the not real thing. And you compare the Judaizers, those who persecuted the church and considered Paul an outcast because he, he left Judaism for Christianity or however they would say it. You see this love and compassion versus this legalistic, you know, just want to put a mark on my belt and get you under me so you can, I can glory in your flesh that I have authority over you. People feel that. People know what's real. There's no, there's no guesswork when you see the real thing. And I just thank God that Paul was real. What a special guy. What an example, really, for all pastors. And the way he treated the people there, you know, as we see in verses 3 and 4, just thanking God for the people. And you, and that... <laughs> I remember Chuck saying in class, he said, look, you guys are going to go out and plant churches and all this stuff. And you get 50 people that love God and love his word. Be satisfied. Be content. Enjoy that part of the ministry. It may not always stay that small, but enjoy the season that you're in. And we'd already been taught that. My wife and I had been going through that for about a decade. We, If you understand what I mean about uh, raising children, we we not only uh, it, were being taught that lesson for a decade, during that decade we were changing diapers. <laughs> and there's just something about like hoping we get through this quicker rather than later for obvious reasons. But just enjoy wherever you're at. Wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, just thank God and just, just enjoy where you're at. It's... Uh, Sometimes you don't realize how much you already have. You just don't. And may God help us to do that. And I think Paul realized that no matter what church he was writing to or what city he was working in, 
these people were unique unto the Lord and had a special purpose and plan of God for their lives and their existence as a church. And so I have learned that over the years and I am quite content with what God is doing. If he wants to do more than he's doing, that's fine too. And if he wants to do less than he's doing, I'm just going to show up here every day when I'm supposed to be here. Uh, I might not be on the days that you want me here, but I'll be here the days I think I'm supposed to be here. Paul thanked God for them. And he thought that was fitting to do so. Why, what was he thankful for? That their faith was growing. Even though they were being hammered and persecuted and intimidated. And people were trying to jab them and all kinds of things. They stood strong. They trusted the Lord. They were growing. You don't realize that when you go through suffering, pain, and sorrow, that is the time that your roots go down deep. It is during the storms and the absence of nutrients that you really need that those roots and the corn stalks and the things that we plant, they go down deep and they grab. They're looking for whatever is there to, to drink and to nourish themselves. That's what we do as believers. We, we don't understand why the storm comes with its intensity and we know that it can hurt us. And so all we can do is just sink our Roots deep in the Lord. That's the only option we have. We don't look back. We don't question it. We just trust God is in control. That's what faith tells us. As Habakkuk said, there might not be any figs on the tree. There might not be any cattle in the stall. But in this thing, I will rejoice. Because I've already, got, I've already received more blessings than I could ever possibly deserve. And that's a perspective that's healthy. So we're going to talk a little bit more how God uses suffering here. But think about this for a moment. How do you think these people felt when they read this first few lines? Paul's thanking God for us. How does that make you feel if you know that you're being that people are thanking God for you? Isn't that cool? I think that's just a wonderful well, that's the nice thing to say, you know. It's very encouraging. So just for the record, I'm thankful for you. <laughs> In fact, they were so thankful they boasted about them. That's what he says here. You know, they, man, you know, have you heard about those Thessalonians? Those people, man, they are, they're tougher. They eat nails for lunch. That's what Steve Bannon says. Or breakfast, I mean. Lunch is rough, but I'm breakfast? Yeah, they're tough people. How about when people affirm you for your sincerity, your your faithful service, or the things that that you're known for, that are the good qualities that you're known for? Isn't it? You know, it's so encouraging. You want you want to just be faithful to God. You know that someone's actually paying attention to your life and cares about you. You know that, Mister Luther, something's going to happen to him. I got a feeling, but. He probably has no idea. There's probably very few people because of the troubles he's gone through in his life, as he briefly mentioned, that people don't even think about him. They could care less about him. But yet, being in the family of God and the church of Jesus Christ and having loving relationships, people thank God for you. They affirm you. They love you. I mean, we, sometimes you don't realize what you have. It's amazing. Yeah. He boasts about their patience, their endurance. Man, these guys could just, you know, they're marathoners. They're hanging in there. They demonstrated their faith by 
persevering through the suffering. So really suffering shows us really where we're at in our faith. If we get angry and bitter because we're going through a trial, that means we're, we're a little infantile in our faith. We need to grow. Nobody likes it. No, who signs up for punishment? Who signs up for persecution? Well, where, where do I sign? No, nobody does that. We, we actually sort of resent it. But when, are we greater than our master? If, we share in, if we're going to share in the glory, we have to share in the sufferings. We're not greater than our master. And he did it for our sakes. They demonstrated their faith by enduring the tribulation and the trials. Aren't you glad that tied to, the phrase that's tied to every trial is this, and then it's in parentheses. This too shall pass. We aren't going to be in tribulation and persecution unless it takes our life until the Lord comes back. Every moment, every of the day. No. It, it, these things are, there's an ebb and flow to life. Just like right now, our church is going through a lot of sorrow and pain. God is going to use that, and you can see how he's already using it. He's drawing the body together. He's knitting our hearts. He's showing us how and teaching us how to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And they're both needed in the church. The Thessalonians demonstrated their suffering for the kingdom of God. And, and here's the thing. This is, should really encourage you. If by doing this, by persevering and, and growing in your faith, you're demonstrating that you are worthy of being a Christian. You're worthy of the kingdom. That's what he says there. That you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And then flip it on over here. Verse, therefore, verse 11, we pray always that you, our God would count you worthy of this calling. This calling involves suffering. It involves denial of the flesh. It involves saying no to the world. And by being obedient to that call, we demonstrate who we belong to and that our faith is genuine and real. So these reports that were going out about this church around the area really blessed Paul, and he wanted them to know it. When our church does good things, I'm the first one, I'm the best cheerleader he'll ever, the church is going to have. Well, I know, maybe my wife's a little better at it. Girls are better cheerleaders anyway, right? Better looking anyway, right? That's what Paul did. He just, he wanted them to know what was going on. And so... He also wanted them to know that that he was that they were that missionary team were they're being prayed for. I don't think there's any more comforting thing to know that you're being prayed for as a minister. The prayer support that I received from this church, you know, I, I probably I have no idea. I just know that it's happening because I can. I know that I couldn't do what I'm doing without that. That's all I can say about that. And I am so thankful for your prayers. And 
it reciprocates. I pray for the church. Paul prayed for those he ministered to. And I love the way Paul prays because, man, he doesn't mess around. He gets right to it. That God would do a work of faith with power. Let's not play around here. We're not playing church. We're not playing, you know, pansy cake here. We've got a job to do. We need to get it done. We need to wrap our minds around what God has called us to do and, and put away the idols, put away the things that keep you from apprehending what you've been apprehended for. Now, I don't know what that is for you, but you probably do. And you know what you need to lay aside. Every weight, every sin, everything that's getting in the way of accomplishing God's purpose, that's our call. Put it away. So God can do a work of faith with power. Your life, my life, becomes a demonstration of Him, His power. There wasn't any guesswork. When they saw Jesus walking down the dusty roads of the Galilee and in and around the temple and all the things He was doing, there wasn't any question. I wonder if, if Jesus is a prophet. I wonder if Jesus is a believer. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's no, there should be no question about our lives before the world about whether or not we're saved. The fruit should just be as obvious as the nose on our faces, right? The point is that God would be glorified in them. So, when I work time to time. I like using my hands and I like fixing things. And I like listening to worship music when I'm doing that. And sometimes I get I just got to be honest with you. I really struggle with some of the worship music that's that's considered worship music that's out there. I'm not interested in your feelings. <laughs> or how your owie got healed. Whatever. I want to be brought into the throne room. I want to know that you have suffered and in that suffering you've experienced grace and now it's your full-blown worship. And you can tell the difference. That's what I'm looking for. Now that's my, you know, well, it's got to sound just right. You know, that's sensual. That's sensual. Now I don't mean sensual in the sense of, you know, sexual. I'm talking sensual in the sense of feelings. Well, you know, they've got a really good worship band. It sounds so cool. That's sensual. If I'm, you know, wanting to dance and, and you know, you know I which I can't do and I'm not going to illustrate. But you get the point. That's sensual. I am to, that has nothing to do with my spirit. That's my flesh. I'm sorry. That's probably going to offend Somebody listening on the internet, you guys aren't going to be offended. Huh? David. Okay. (laughs) But you know what? You can can tell the difference. Because you can dance with all your might before the Lord, but then there's some things that cause you to just do other things that well, I just remember being in the Central America and for a 45-minute to an hour-long singing session, and it was it might as well have been a, a Christian aerobics class because the people beside me were, like, sweating and soaked, and they were all over the map. And I couldn't, didn't get one thing out of that because I was too distracted. 
It was 90 degrees in there. But it, you know, I don't know. You know what? You might be right. It just might be me and I've got a problem. <laughs> but do be careful of that though. Because a lot of the music today appeals to the to the flesh, to the you know, the beat. You musicians understand this and how it affects you. Is it ministering to my spirit? Am I really being drawn into the presence of God? That's the true measuring stick. And I think I'm right about that. I'm not right about everything, but I think I may be right about that. As he said there, this righteous judgment of God. Would you want to be on the other side? I'm going to finish this up here. Would you want to be on the other side, the ones that's the persecutor of these believers? Do you see what's in store for the ungodly? Oh my goodness, they have no idea. I mean, inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God? This is the plight, this is the position of the unbeliever. They do not know God and they do not obey God. They don't have the Spirit, so they can't be pleasing to God. The only reason why you and I can even get even in the room with the, with the Almighty is because He's been so gracious and merciful to forgive our sins and be kind to us and share Himself with us. Unless God chooses to reveal Himself to you or me, we will not know Him. We will not see Him. But if we come on His terms in brokenness and contrition, there's nobody that's quicker to your aid and to your side than him. He is drawn to weakness. He's drawn to contrition. These people, verse 9 says, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Now let's just think about that for a moment because I think this would, should give us some compassion for the lost. Because that's really why we do what we do in sharing the gospel because we care. We don't want anybody to, to perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. So hell has been described as a place, and eventually that will be the lake of fire, is a place where God is not. Now, we've all had probably this experience where you're walking with the Lord, and it's part of the just growing up in Him where you feel like you're groping at the wall, and you're blind, and you have no idea what you're doing in your walk and where you're going and you're, you're, you're kind of lost. And, he, and God's not speaking to you. I don't know, I, I, I imagine everybody's gone through that wilderness experience a time or two. That is, that's rough sledding. That's rough. Nobody likes that. The pain of not hearing and being ministered to by the Holy Spirit, that is, that's difficult. That is just a, small taste of what it's like to be the absence of God from your life. That is what hell and the lake of fire will be. The absence of all life. No life. And you are, you are there, your soul, which is eternal, trapped in its guilt, trapped, as, trapped in this echo chamber of rebellion and hatred and lying, all the nasty things of the flesh, all the attitudes, never, ever 
with the ability to escape being trapped in eternal torment. Oh, I mean, I think it's, you know, that's kind of graphic. But I think we need to stop and think sometimes. When he says everlasting destruction, I don't think you could say it any more powerfully than that. That is really sobering to me. God help us to be filled with the compassion. And, 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 and of course, where I have to go with this is, is my enemies. Where, kind of where I started. These people that we have to say no to, we have to have compassion for them. These tyrants, who are probably a number of them are demon-possessed, I mean, how can you do some of the stuff you've you got? It's out of this world. Criminally insane things, you know. But God calls us to have compassion. How did Jesus handle the demon-possessed? Did he pick up rocks? No. He healed them. <laughs> he cast out the demons and healed them. Well, looks like we've got a lot of exorcism on our hands here. <laughs> and I mean that in a sincere way as well. Yeah. Say, say again. <laughs> you know, the Lord can heal at a distance. Let's see if we can cast out at a distance. Notice how he ends this section. You know, it just really is, is, again, it's just precious. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you in him, according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. As he said earlier, you know, in that verse, um, to be admired in him by all believers. He, Jesus is going to be admired by all of us. That's what's going on in heaven right now. The host of heaven is admiring the Lord. Isn't that a great thing? Glor- He's glorified in us that we might admire him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart. We thank you for his testimony. We thank you, Lord, that he was willing to lay this down in, on paper and ink so that we could have an understanding of how to approach you. Because as the scripture says, the way of man is not within him. It must be given. You must show us the way. And you have told us, Lord, that you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And so we ask, Father, that you would come and fill us continually, Lord, with your spirit. That you would, we're giving you permission, Lord, to do a work of faith with power and demonstrate through our lives that you are alive and well and that you are a God of love and mercy and compassion. May we be motivated to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.